Welcome to this latest edition of the Delivery Profits, brought to you by the Delivery.World, together with Avico. I'm Peter Backman, and today, together with John Borzacchiello and our special guest, James Brown, we'll talk about delivery in general and ways to make it accessible and profitable. And no doubt we'll get on to other topics too, as we try to get a deep understanding of the forces shaping this rapidly evolving sector. And let's get started with today's fantastic episode. So Peter, I was coming in on the train this morning and it rained again. But I was thinking, we've just had Halloween, dark nights, menus are changing in pubs. Remember that older dark night, light night menus, warm fires, red wine, weekends in front of the telly. What do you think? Do you like this time of year? I love this time of year. You know, The thought of smoke in the air and wet leaves and rustling through dry leaves. I love that. It's not always like that, but I think I prefer this time of year to the summer. The spring is fine, but the summer I just find a bit tricky, too hot and so on. But this time of year is perfect for me. It's like you say, my my wife loves it as well, as the Americans would call it, the fall, with the leaves coming off the trees, the kids kicking her, leaves running through the puddles with their wellies on. Obviously, we had a bonfire night last week. Um, we've seen the start of Christmas coming now with all the adverts being on the TV. Is that something you look forward to as well? Yes, it's the um, the cycle of the seasons, I think, which is fun. And, you know, as you say, Christmas. Christmas isn't um, a time of special celebration for everybody, but it is certainly in most countries that I know, it's a definitely an important part of the secular year. Uh, as well as being religious. And and I think it's important to have it uh, because it just gives a shape. Otherwise, without Christmas, without summer holidays, the year would just be sort of drifting on and on and on. It does definitely. And uh, we're starting to see as a business now, um, a lot of the bigger wholesalers are starting to stop build ready for Christmas. All of the um, branded operators have got their menus out there ready, taking lots of bookings in. But yeah, the big wholesalers are definitely already building for Christmas because it's what dare I say seven-ish weeks away. Right. Okay. On that note, <laughs> <laughs> uh, and and I think um, that they're always complaining that Christmas has come late this year, but we'll we'll see. Right. It's time to get the show on the road, John. Let me set the scene with some additional thoughts that we can all discuss and perhaps pull apart. How do we place a value on anything? That's obviously important for when we're selling something. How much do your customers value what you're offering? And specifically, how much are they going to pay? But of course, it goes beyond placing a monetary value on whatever it is we're offering. There are factors such as recognition and appreciation. I appreciate your great service and I want to recognize it by saying thank you. It works the other way too, of course. I don't value the service you've provided. You fouled up this time, so I'll complain. Or, I don't really place any value on the service you've provided, so I won't say thank you. That gives me the opportunity to air my gripe about people not saying thank you when I keep the door open for them, Uh, but maybe they don't place any value on that. And although I do place a value on it, maybe I'm a fool for not understanding the situation. But that's not what I want to talk about here. An issue, as I see it, is the linkage between saying Thank you, I appreciate what you've done, and the very act of paying for it. It's less a strain on the pocket to just say thank you. 
but maybe it's easier paying for it rather than acknowledging the service in words. Go one way and the person providing the service is impoverished, but has a warm glow of appreciation. Go the other way and the person feels richer, but unappreciated. We should, of course, do both, pay and say thank you. And if we're really feeling spiritually generous, we can add to the thank you with something along the lines of, your service was great, just what I needed, and I'll be back. However, all of this hides an issue, and that is the thought that we can, quote, get away, unquote, with not paying or not paying enough, but merely say thank you. Of course, nobody, I assume, sets out to deliberately not pay or not pay enough. But human nature being what it is, it's easy to mislead ourselves over our motivation. All of the above applies especially in the restaurant sector and for its delivery service component. Because for a variety of reasons, people who are at the front end of providing the service, waiters, delivery riders, bar staff, cloakroom attendants, and those like them, are not paid a lot. So I'll end by saying we should all appreciate the services we receive, we should reward with a thank you and perhaps also with a tip. What do you think, John? Really interesting, Peter, and I've got two points to what you've just said. Firstly, we'll, we'll start with the restaurants. And um, a great tip is there for the quality of service, the quality of food, the night, afternoon, lunch that you've had out. You've enjoyed it with friends. For me, a, a little gripe is where there is um, always a service charge put on a bill. I'm someone that gives tips, and I always have, and I think it's been from my parents bringing me up of, you tip for good service, but you also say thank you. Nowadays, you see it far too often for my liking, personally, on a bill, there's a service charge on there. that is always says discretionary, but how many people do give it discretionary or just pay it or ask to be taken off? All good points, and our guest James Brown is particularly well-placed to answer that because amongst his range of responsibilities he was co-founder of tip jar the cashless tipping platform so he's probably going to have something to say about that and maybe we can start off with that before we actually get into the delivery sector but anyway james is ceo of brewdog bars which is where we're recording today and we have recorded our previous episodes too in the waterloo podcast project and james looks after over 2,400 staff globally. He spends most of his time on the road, so he tells me, travelling between Brewdog's uh, global location of bars and breweries, so that's a job I'm going to apply for. Uh, and yeah. as we'll find out, he's passionate about hospitality and people. So welcome, James. So I don't know if there's anything you want to say about tipping at this point um, before we get on to delivery, because we don't want to take over the whole podcast with that. As I grew up in hospitality... Tipping was always on the agenda. My first set of tip, actually, I worked back of house at a chip shop and I was peeling potatoes. About two, after two weeks, I got an envelope. Oh, what's this? Five pound, 15 years old. That was a, I felt like a millionaire and I'd never given a tip before. I'd never really seen a kid tip given before. Maybe my Scottish parents are probably evident of, 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 the, of the stereotype there. So it wasn't a concept I understood. And then it wasn't until I moved from the house, I saw, I saw it in, at the time, I could never imagine my, my career going to the going to a point where I stayed in hospitality. But looking back, my view of tipping is that it's such an integral part of hospitality, whether that's someone delivering service in a restaurant or delivering a pizza to your door. 
showing appreciation with a sincere thank you and some kind of incentive before it's like incentive that for me is really important. It's very easy to come at this from a consumer perspective, but in reality, as an operator and owner of a business, it should be really high up your agenda because you wouldn't run a trading floor in a bank without having all your bankers on the bonus. You wouldn't have, so for me, this is the original bonus scheme invented hundreds of years ago to make sure that people who were looking after you had skin in the game and you really get customers back as competitive landscape out there. So that's kind of like my short overview of what I think of tipping. And I also respect people who don't want to tip as well. I, 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 we're, we're not, we're not forcing anyone, any nose twisting any arms behind the back. Um, it's my personal view. And then um, yeah, operators should really have it the highest priority. I totally understand, James, and I get where you're coming from. Um, starting out as a little start chef as well, when mm-hmm. 15 working in a pub, it's amazing when you get that money, isn't it? I mentioned then about different brands and different operators putting on the discretionary. Do you think that's on there, James? Because a consumer sometimes forgets about this, or they don't have the same thought process that you do, or other operators around. Actually, this is the bonus for the staff, or are they just tight? Is that why the actual consumer is tight? And don't want to pay with their money anymore. I understand an operator's perspective of service charge. As an operator myself, I would never use it. I understand why people do use it. And for me, that's their choice. Tipshop provides a service that allows you to divide up service charge, etc. My personal preference as an operator is that that needs to be easy to do for a customer. Ask them if they want it. It also needs to be entirely optional, not discretionary. Not optional if you put your hand up and ask them to take the bit of paper back to the till, ask your manager to take it off and then come back again. That's not really discretionary. Albeit it is discretionary, but it doesn't feel like that to consumer. And I think there are ups and downs of service charge. The upside is that you probably retain staff for longer and because you can you fetch them that money. If it does go to the staff, which there's new tipping legislation, you know about the new tipping legislation coming out next year, so it's great. It will go to the staff. Fantastic. The downside is that there is no connectivity between the individual unit actions of that employee to their pay. So you've worked in hospitality, you'll know that, um, you'll probably know the story. I, I've got I've got a similar one myself, is it? Me and all the boys are working on the bar, which is working on a cocktail bar, and we wanted to go to there after the, afterwards. We finished at 1am, we could get the dome and the club down the road with kids in for free. We needed spending money. So what did we do? Well, we just, we killed all that shift and said we want to get some extra cash and everyone was doing extra, running about, making sure customers are looked after, giving customers chat. And those customers had an amazing time. The business benefit, because those customers paid more, they stayed for longer, they consumed more. And I and I benefit as a bartender. I think for me, that's the true essence of how that kind of hospitality worker consumer value proposition works. I understand fully. And you've brought it home to me in a way I've never appreciated before that um, the tip is part of the personal interaction that you get when uh, when you're being exposed to hospitality. So, yeah, it's absolutely fantastic. But I just want to sort of reflect on, on this idea of a charge which is not given voluntarily by the customer, but is imposed by the supplier. And in the delivery sector, of course, we're seeing this more and more, yes, where you yeah. choose your product for £15, but by the time this charge and that charge and the service charge and the delivery charge and all of that's been added on, you could be paying um, 70% on top of that. 
So it doesn't always work in, in delivery in, in the way that it should. So that's by way of sort of introducing delivery, putting it centre stage into our discussion today. And if I could just ask you, James, how you first experienced delivery and sort of what it meant to you at the time. Really early on in my career, I worked in a chip shop, so the real essence of old school delivery was that you just have a phone to the next to wall and some some business still operate this. There's no technology, right? The best Indian restaurant near my house still offers this. I really wanted to get an app because it has <laughs> like a couple of Christmases ago, I had to throw like 190 times to get through it. But that's how I, I first had a delivery and, and I worked at a chip shop and they did delivery occasionally, particularly weekends. And I had a bike. So I used to get a couple of quid, especially when people paid in cash at their door, right? Because it was known people as a local community. It would be keep the change and that, that was the incentive for me to pedal a bit faster and make sure that chips got there. Um, nice and warm. And occasionally I have to pedal back really fast because we've forgotten something. <laughs> I always say that, that one of the problems with delivery is, is but it uses humans and they're inefficient. Yeah. Um, and that means you have to allow for all of those things. And the technology is supposed to bridge the gap between yeah. the consumer, uh, the, the operator, and what's meant to happen. But how does delivery sort of work for BrewDog? First into the interaction with delivery brewdog was probably um yeah, aggregated delivery, setting up delivery. Probably when I started roughly eight years ago, there was still relatively new concept to be on an aggregator and there were still new businesses. So um in terms of how it works, we are a global business. We've got hundred and twenty nine locations around the world. Um and we interact with pretty much all the names you could imagine on that on that list. And occasionally even smaller local people as for example in so Andrews, I'm not sure if we're still using them. There's a local um, eco-driven, um, literally just for St. Andrews, um, and it was an app, and also that worked. Sometimes there's local taxi companies that do it, um, but in reality, the, the main players are the main players, so we drive the Uber Eats. this right, Lee Ferrando in Germany, um, Just Eat in the UK, obviously connected, and then um, even Postmates and Grubhub, et cetera, S business as well. So. And... Do you do you find conceptually that they're all very similar, or are they? I'm not asking you to go into the differences between one and the other, but do they all basically work in the same way? Yeah, I'd say, that, I'd say conceptually very similar, and actually quite similar use of it, user interfaces, the T similar economic model, um, and is that economic model which so many businesses are struggling with at the minute as, as rest of cost pressures go up. And I was a really early on, I the argument of paying for the chef anyway, the, the stocks in the fridge, like, hey, it's all just additional revenue. That's been challenged recently. And I think that various different platforms have reacted in different different fashions, trying to ease that pain. But when energy bills come up and drop and fries in the fryer, it costs you a bit more than it before. Packaging, these things are challenging, I think. But it's, it's, it's been quite hard for me to, to address that in my own business because I was such a passionate advocate of delivery in my own business and the benefit it added to go back and look at that also as well james I, i've seen on the way in that you you do takeout which is really yeah. cool idea so train beers yeah. that sort of business for you here at the big waterloo site but also i've seen it in other brew dog sites where you have the double fridges um do you find that yes it isn't delivery it's a takeaway but takeaway delivery they're hand in hand is yeah. is that beneficial to brew dog Maybe you'll notice when you enter brew dog, when you see a kind of corner next to the bar sometimes near the door we like to have these fridges, like little daily fridges, where I see them in a Tesco, etc., where 
you can touch and feel the product. Buying craft beer either on an app or and mm-hmm. online is is not a very rewarding, enriching experience because a lot of what craft beer is about is the touch and feel of the bottle and the can, the label on the bottle and the can. Sometimes just the funny descriptions of the breweries and the creative brains have put that beer together have been in embossing on the label that's look and feel and also it's just so much choice to actually sometimes taking a moment in real life and picking up a can turn it around looking at what it's going to taste like see what else is available is actually a really nice way uh, a nice kind of enriching experience to buy a beer so we it for us it's a really valuable thing it's not just about revenue for us it's about and and you'll see that our fridges or train beers and this uh, what we call them chain beers whenever you've got a and at the site of trade station, we call it train beers for the rest of it, which is called beer to go. Um, that it's just really important that we uh, don't just stock our own beers, we also love to stock other great craft breweries, um, and independent breweries from around the world where they make incredible beer that we love. Um, and you can experience that. So, really, if you're going to go on a journey of discovering a beer, go to those fridges and our bars and talk to our team members about that, and they'll talk to you about their favorite one and why and when that's come from the story behind that brewery and that liquid. We're so grateful for all of you out there who tune in regularly for this podcast. Without you, we're just a bunch of guys and gals talking to each other in a recording studio. If you're enjoying the show, please consider supporting us by leaving a five-star rating on Spotify, Apple Podcasts or Google Podcasts. Your ratings and reviews mean the world to us and help more people discover our content. Plus... It's the best way to show your appreciation for the hard work the Delivery.World team, the Avigo team, and our fabulous guests put into each and every episode. So go ahead, hit that five-star button. Full instructions in the show notes. Talking about the way that you touch the bottle, you hold the can, and all of that's important, brings to mind earlier point you made about hospitality being a very personal um, situation and that may get lost in delivery but when you're delivering a bottle you're still touching it whether it's at home or in the bar so in a sense you're it's the the same or very similar experience which you don't necessarily get when you're when you're serving food because that comes out of a a, a plastic container or a, a cardboard container so it's different i had a delivery last night it was to shame and the packaging is fantastic. It feels almost like an unboxing moment for a product. And so you're right, but you also, there's probably some examples out there where people have really got that, nailed it, got it right, and they're going to have repeat customers who value that experience and um, probably bridges that gap between um, what you would get at a restaurant and get it at home. It's never going to be the same. It's not. But you can still have a really high quality delivery product on those process. And then there's, there's tons of other examples. This was what I had last night because I'm a massive fan of their business, all their products. There are a ton of high-end versions of these things going on across the city, but also accessible versions have just nailed that packaging. Wagon Mama would be another one who just, they anything they do, they do, they seem to be brilliant. Their packaging is for their product, which is not easy to transport, is, is amazing, right? It's like you say that experience, isn't it? And we've spoke about this before on the uh, Delivery Profits podcast about experience. Um, and I, I just want to go back to Tip Jar for a minute. And you you said earlier there's some operators that you're working with now um, where it's it's part of delivery. Delivery is a big piece of their business. When it comes to Tip, tip Jar, how does that work with regard to the operator? 
and the aggregator because who does the customer belong to? There's a big debate obviously in, in US and New York where there's legislation coming or being discussed in the past. I'm not sure the current states are aware. They try to argue that question who owns a customer and it's a really, really good one. Probably not one. Yeah, let's not do it because someone will be banging on the door. But um, the way I see it is um, from a Brudel perspective, as well as Tiptrum's perspective, is um, whether I own the data or not, it's my responsibility as an operator to make sure that that goes well. Um, And is a partnership between me and the platform. We have our own delivery service, which we partner with Stuart, who who do the kind of final mile delivery part process or it's delivery or it's Uberies, it's their job to make sure they get it there on time. Um, and in a sensible fashion, it's not being chucked around and either if it's a bottle being broken or if it's been spilled. Um, so it's a partnership, but I think that owning the customer for me is less of a debate. I just want to stand up and understand my responsibilities to get that food or to spec in a great package that stands the test of time. Um, when it comes to kind of and rewarding drivers from Budo's perspective as an operator, I really want my delivery partner, the business, bringing, bringing their service and skills to the table to have a super efficient, productive, engaged workforce. And if tipping means that um, yeah, that's going to help that, like I'm all in. Like, I don't I don't mind if someone's ordered from Budo on delivery and tips their driver. In fact, I mean, that's great. It shows that they're happy with that and that part of the value proposition that they bought. So an example would be that Remember we talked earlier that um, tip jar was designed for inside restaurants, but COVID happened and no one was outside restaurants. So we, we just luckily signed this incredible business called Yard Sale Pizza. Have you heard of Yard Sale Pizza? Independent business in, 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 in and around Northeast London. Um, they've expanded since then and they'd got, um, they had their drivers who were tech stack, they didn't do the orders, they didn't use aggregators. Um, and they signed up and they popped our tipping platform into their software and we got, we got the money directly to the drivers. It was amazing. They started taking those tips. People were really thankful that, especially during COVID, that there was drivers out there getting the food and it was a bit of a tree mowing. Um, and yeah, fast forward to now, we're now doing all the Papa John's tips. Uh, again, they've plugged the, our software into the app. And then um, for the last year now, pretty much exactly, we've been doing all the Domino's tips to every single store in the UK of Domino's. Um, Domino's have plugged our software into their app. Then tip jar's job is, is kind of like similar to the delivery job where our job is just to get the money from the customer to the employee as fast as humanly possible and make sure they have full transparency of how that's happened. Um, we almost see ourselves as a delivery service for tips and we're at the kind of the money. Maybe um, the lights delivery of a new breach should be knocking on your door, James, saying, Let, let's work with tip, y'all, let's work. Ooh, so they, they, I think they, they we can then give them. We, just, we actually don't get how the tip is collected. We just want to get, our job is just to do the delivery. Mm. So we're effectively, a uh, vision for the product really was like modern for tipping. And, mm. And your listeners and you guys may not realize, but there are a ton of people who work across. We, and we see it because we've got we've got fifty five thousand users on the tip job platform just now, in terms of tip workers um, that use the system uh, daily, um, and they work across a number of different restaurants and different brands. And some of them deliver at weekends, and some of them work in restaurants. So there's an amazing connectivity. So it doesn't matter where there's we have one one app, one login for all those people. They see tips coming in from different different partners and. Um, I'm pretty sure that I certainly as an operator of pops and look, I didn't realize my staff would do that on the weekend, but I, now I realize they are. And it's an incredible thing to do to be able to have it all in one place and see where your rewards sit. So, uh, and go back to your kind of point in the start. We remember these people uh, are getting paid minimum wage through the kind of cost of living crisis where it doesn't matter how well off you are, you felt your mortgage going up, you felt your energy bill going up. It's the, 
it's, it's, it's tough out there. So where staff can be rewarded and earn some extra money at the same time for me. It, it all boils down to the fact that we are talking about an industry where where people are are what it's about. People buy food or they buy the drink to have it delivered. But without the people there to to do the delivery, to provide the personal contact, all of the, that is hugely important. Uh, and you're absolutely right uh, that um, it's, it's necessary to make sure that they are made to feel uh, warmly appreciated. Otherwise, they're not going to do the job and then the whole thing falls apart. Like, yeah, they're, they're a proposition that the aggregators and delivery drivers bring to my business at Brewdog is they are experts in that process, taking the order, getting it out of the door, and getting it to the customers. So whatever they can do to make their business more efficient and better, great. Yeah, coming back to your original question about all the different add-ons and service fees, personally as a consumer and as an operator, as, as a partner with these platforms, I think they've gone a bit too far. I understand why they've gone too far because they've just had to make their economic model and PL stack up. Either way, for me, is sustainable. I think if they keep going in that direction, it's not sustainable. But I also understand if they charge nothing like they used to do eight years ago because they were just trying to gather market, that's also not sustainable. So um, I'm hoping that that becomes a bit more sensible over time and they don't just keep trying to um, yeah, get an extra percent here and there and everywhere at work points. I mean, that's part of a, a, a bigger issue, I think, yeah. for the for the delivery aggregators yeah. that um, they've got to um, s- struggle their way to to becoming genuinely profitable. Yeah. And there isn't a magic bullet which is going to do it. It's all sort of little incremental changes all over the place. And adding charges is one of them. Yeah. Um, so they can add a charge if the customer doesn't pay or the sales fall, then they can take it off and then they've got to try something else. So I think that's a, a way that the delivery business is working at the moment, is trying out lots and lots of different things. Um, and um, websites are, um, and apps are being tweaked all the time. Do you put a button here? Do you put the reminder there or do you put it? A little bit later in the process, try out all of these things, and slowly, I think um, a profitable model uh, will emerge for some. Yeah. They're still growing for growth in all these places. And I think probably some of their frustrations of consumers when they're seeing these fees added is what about the transparency? Will that fees actually fall? Is it just a higher price? Because actually, yeah. I was hungry last night. Eight thirty. If someone just said to me, "It's an extra fiver just to get dish to your door," I'd have paid it. Probably where it feels a little bit um, disingenuous or a little bit, it feels a little bit fake is the fact that there's just multiple of them and it's they're a bit ambiguous. Um, I would just like, listen, there's a five pound convenience fee. You don't want to pay five pounds, go get, get on your bike and get yourself. It would just be a more honest transaction between the consumer and the platform, is my personal view. Whether that adds up from an economic model or not, I'm not sure. What we could just do, James, on your point there is simple delivery fee, five pounds, yeah. collection free, zero. zero. Yeah. And it is that simple. We've all been there and looked at it and broke down 129, 149, five pounds, deliver it or go and collect it yourself. Again, simplicity sometimes is what we all need. Yeah. It's transparency. I feel like people just feel like they're, they're, they're involved. 
question of not very upfront transaction when there's so many different business. That's, that's my personal consumer perspective. Um, it goes back to your point of who owns the customer. Well, I do actually get, as an operator, I, I get to decide who gets to deliver from my customers. I can use all of them. I can use one of them. I can use it. So actually, their strategies are going to not just turn off consumers that they're, like they're, they're, they're taking the food. It's also maybe think about which business they have part of them based on their policy. So, um, An interesting use, you said, Last night you wanted to eat dishum, and I've done it. It stopped in hotels in London, and you're like, I want to have a dishum, or I want to have meatloaf, because that's the food I want to eat tonight. So actually, I only use one platform, and I won't say it is, but if you go on its multi-platforms, is you want that food. So actually, you're looking for the operator. You're not saying, I'm going to go to this particular aggregator and look who they've got. Totally. The only time I do that is when I'm traveling to a city I don't know that well, or um, I'm not in all the time. And I'll say, well, actually, I fancy Indian food for the example. I don't know who the better, who the local dish is in Berlin, for example. Um, and that's how I, I potentially do it. But that's, that's few and far between in terms of how I use it, in terms of living to your home. Yes. Uh, which is the majority of the customers. I don't think you're right. People are saying, well, I live in this town and um, Franco Manca is my favorite pizza restaurant. Therefore, I'm going to go to Franco Manca. Yeah. That's the, um, probably... Um, again, go back to New York. People are talking about restaurateurs trying to sell their own collectives and unions to build their own version of technology eight years ago when it started that technology was 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 quite hard to build and it was quite new and fancy but now it's easier to build and easier to access the thing that always come back to is their own driver network and delivery um and i was just i was i traveled to the u.s quite a lot and i was in a restaurant with a friend in los angeles maybe four or five weeks ago and a robot Turn up to the restaurant. You know, there's like a yeah. little delivery robots. You see them in Milton Keynes here as well. I've yeah. seen a few kicking about, but um, access to driver networks is a really interesting. So just, uh, don't talk to me about tipping robots because that's really what <laughs> happened. Um, uh, but the reality is, um, uh, I think um, that's coming. Um, really funny. It was a Cuba Kids waiting outside the restaurant. We were sat the window. And they just started playing with the delivery robot. And I'm sure they were causing all sorts of issues with sense because they were covering up the, the, the they was having fun with it. But ultimately, someone came out and put a bag in it and it drove off. You know, it's like, Talk, yeah. Talking about um, building your own uh, rider network, um, uh, one of our earlier um, guests was Chris Baggett, who runs Cluster Truck from Indianapolis. Yeah. And he has built his business on the basis of of having a um a, a relationship with his drivers um that they're, they're all drivers rather than riders uh and he can control control is the wrong word he has control of the whole process because his relationship with his riders is such that they want to work with him um and and i think they get paid well and customers appreciate them so that's all. That's another side of what you're doing. It's a bit like say inside a restaurant. Why would you just use just agency staff who change every week? You want you want people behind the bar, especially when you're in your home local town to go. You want to know Peter's serving me pints by the bar, and I want to hear his stories. And well, I got the last week, and they they that experience and interaction with humans is really important. So wherever you get regularity, in that, so things believed in delivery. It comes back to that people buy people, doesn't it? An experience, as we've spoken about before. It's an experience and people buy people. So we've talked people, basically. It's been a very interesting way of approaching our discussions today, I must say. Um, I've got 
a completely different question, and that's about ghost kitchens or dark kitchens. Um, I know that um, Brewdog used to run them. I don't know if you still do. I could ask why. You may want to tell me. The cost of packaging. And I was the world's biggest advocate. And anyone that would go on LinkedIn and share their aggregations, I, like, I really believed in the point of the share. The issue is that on a unit-by-unit unit basis, I could improve to my team. We were realists and looking at the numbers and weren't just uh, probably drinking the Kool-Aid like I was, that I could make that work. Um, and the unit-by-unit unit economics of some of these transactions are high 20s um, uh, commission base on them, um, plus delivery packaging, plus the increased cost of food and energy. I just couldn't believe there was much in it. Um, therefore, it was a distraction to our business. We win and die on Brewdog experiences and it at home delivered handles within the business. So for me, it was a distraction with not much upside. So yeah. I, I, we took it We might revisit it if these things change and there's more of an upside. So uh, as an add-on, if I can put it like that, uh, to your business, it didn't work. For, but if you're just focusing... It worked, it worked during pre-COVID. We, we, we were relatively early to it. We developed some of our own brands. We had some great partnerships. Um, the issue was that even at its best, it wasn't as valuable to us as just nailing a product experience. And then, like, again, I don't really prescribe to the hype of someone internally in the restaurant might wait an extra 30 minutes or 15 minutes for their food. I think that operational pe people working kitchens and operate, they, they tend to be, they fix problems. They see, so it, that might happen in the first week, but I don't believe it happens every week. But even so, having them fully focused on delivering a Blue Dog Burger, we sell millions of Patriot, Blue Dog Patriot was our main kind of cheeseburger a year um, and if they could just spend an extra 1% 2% of the time make sure that's amazing that was a decision for me that um, based on the value return and the proposition of doing a dark kitchen that's why we changed we might go back because the upside might be bigger but right now for me the profitability isn't enough for that distraction right um, so I, I think we, we've brought out a lot of points and it's probably time to begin to wind down so we're called the delivery profits. So maybe we should have a go at prophecy. Um, do you have any thoughts, big thoughts for the future of delivery? Um, is it here forever? Will it change into something else? Yes, it's here forever. I don't imagine a world where well, future generations will want convenience, speed of service, whether that be how quickly their phone signal works and Wi-Fi so it works to how quickly they get food. Um, directly to their door is here. I think we've probably talked about some of our points around prophecy. I think you're going to see increasing um, lobbying and union pressure in the US around um, who owns the data. And I wouldn't want to own the business that did platform, platform, platform in the US. It went in that market. It's going to be really quite difficult. The US will probably lead that charge. And then that will, Europe might catch up, um, is my view. And then uh, my next one is just, I think they're going to automate delivery in hyper suburban locations. I can't quite see way, the way drones work, to be honest. I, I don't believe in the hype there, but I do see these little, well, gun cart, um, remote control car things that bob around. 
I've seen them being used and I've seen them successful. It's really easy when these things happen and people talk about the future to laugh about it and say, oh, yeah. my friend I was with when we were out at dinner and we saw it, oh, there's loads of stories about people picking up the robot and smashing it and stealing the food inside. And that might happen, but in reality, like anything, that'll happen a small percentage of the time. Um, and the, the, as you get scale, that small percentage of time will be more and more significant and they'll just send another way back to your house. That's my view of it. So I think automation delivery, um, especially in Europe and UK and, and US, is going to become a really interesting place. I don't quite know how they get there. I'm not an expert on it, but I think that's going to happen. So um, the future of delivery is secure, but what it looks like is not. And expect to get your stuff delivered by a robot. Potentially. Uh, going back to our point around these kind of fees, I think that consumers will, and you see it in every single walk of life, is that staff, consumers want to see transparency, honesty, and clarity from brands, your delivery platform, a pub company, a beer company. A clothing company, they want to know where the material you got for your jackets came from. They, they want to know this stuff and they're, they're more and more shopping on that basis. So honesty and transparency is important. I think that they need to be really careful about it. We talked about earlier on, I would just rather pay five quid because yes. I know I'm lazy and I want to get the food to my house. And it would feel like a more honest transaction even though I paid more. Okay, I'm not advocating that we should charge our customers more when we listen to like, yeah, they want to pay for it. That's the reality of the situation. And maybe, uh, maybe that, that feed changes over time. Maybe if it's um, a quiet time, the riders are easy. It, it, a lot of people don't like service charging. A lot of people get frustrated about hotel prices going up and down and air prices going up and down. I don't think I do because I understand that if I want to fly on Easter weekend or I want to stay in a, a hotel on New Year's Eve or wherever the, the, the peak day is, I'm paying that price so maybe there's a model that works better that is a bit more transparent and, and, and what else i don't know good and um if anybody wants to contact you how can they do that i'm on linkedin that he's fine to type in james brown brewdog and get me and or um on twitter it's uh at that's great thank you very much so a, a big thank you to james for taking time out of your busy schedule to join us today and all the very best Here's a reminder that whether you're a delivery company, a marketplace app, a technology company, a restaurant owner, an investor, or simply someone who loves to order takeout, the delivery profits is the perfect way to stay informed and ahead of the curve in the world of food delivery. You'll find the delivery profits on Spotify, Apple, Google, or the other places where you normally get your podcasts. And please support the show by leaving a five-star rating. Your ratings and reviews help more people discover our content. And there are full instructions in the show notes. And there's more at www.thedelivery.world slash thedeliveryprofits. Tune in to the next edition of The Delivery Profits for the insights, interviews and analysis that will keep you ahead of the game in this exciting and ever-evolving industry. So with that, it's goodbye from today's Delivery Profits. That's me and John and James. Goodbye.